Welcome to the Just Fly Performance Podcast, episode 51. Today on the show, I have Chris Corfist, high school track coach and owner of Slow Guy Speed School. Today's episode is brought to you by Simply Faster. Simply Faster is an online athletic performance technology shop distributing items such as the free lap timing system, gym aware, K-Box, 1080 Sprint, and the Speed Mat. I've gotten many of these items from Simply Faster and can confidently say that they make today's best training technology available to everybody. The free lap timing system has revolutionized both my practices and my athlete assessments, allowing me to look at the 10 meter fly capability of dozens of athletes in a matter of seconds. It is wireless, compact, portable, and incredibly versatile. The K-Box and 1080 Sprint are fantastic tools for any coach looking to build speed, agility, and implement training scenarios that go beyond the traditional weight room. The 1080 Sprint is being used by great coaches training some of the fastest sprinters in the world, and it truly represents high-performance speed training. I can personally attest that Simply Faster's customer service is second to none. Christopher at Simply Faster responds quickly to queries, and anyone who makes a purchase from Simply Faster is in good hands. If you want to acquire some of the best high-tech training equipment available, stop by simplyfaster.com. That's simply with an I, faster.com. They are the future of coaching technology. Thanks for tuning in today for episode 51 of the podcast. I'm your host, Joel Smith, and today on the show we have, back for the third time, Chris Corfist. Chris, as I mentioned in the intro, and many of you probably are familiar with who he is. If you're a regular on this podcast series, is Chris is a high school track coach, speed coach, a private speed coach, speed expert, consultant to professional teams and organizations, and has played a big role in my own education and understanding of what makes athletes fast and how to train athletes for speed and explosiveness, as well as a lot of the common pitfalls that we tend to get into. So. I've always, uh, I've always enjoyed talking to him, uh, being part of the track football consortiums, and uh, so this episode was definitely an amazing continuation of some of the answers and um, just information that Chris has contributed to this site in the past. And if you've heard him before, you've heard him on this podcast, or you've heard him on other podcasts, I definitely say... I definitely can tell you that there's a lot of new, probably great and new information that I don't think you would hear anywhere else because we're going to go into some really cool stuff. Uh, general stuff, yes. Uh, we're going to go into a recap of Chris's season, his uh, successes, as well as some of the things that, looking back, he would change on what he did. Uh, we're going to go into things like overspeed, resistance training, as well as some special strength. What are Chris's favorite special strength movements for teaching acceleration? So mechanical stuff, yes, but we're going to also get into some really cool technical models and ideas based off things that uh, Ken Clark is doing, like uh, the two-factor model. We're going to go into Chris's take on training the foot, and one of the best presentations or series of presentations that I ever saw as a coach a few years ago was just listening to Chris talk on the mechanics of the hip and the mechanics of the feet. And one thing I always remember Chris saying is if, if you have good hips and good feet, then he can make you fast. And I think you will definitely see why as you hear him talk about those dynamics. And the, the foot is just such a cool thing. And I think it's really exciting to learn more about it as some of these models come out about how important that shin and lower leg is. And just a great uh, series of, uh, just some great information that Chris has for us on that today. 
So we're going to get into that. We're going to get into Chris's um, methods on reducing crossover running and crossover gait and a uh, relationship of crawling to running and gait, bounding, Chris's stances on that as how that has changed over the years. In many ways, this podcast is uh, kind of almost a timeline of where Chris has been and where he's gone on a variety of training means. Really cool stuff. You guys are going to like this one. So let's get on to episode 51 with Chris Corfist. Chris, welcome to the show today. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Joel. It's, uh, I'm in celebrating my first day out of school. Awesome. So it's uh, always a good time. Yeah, nothing better than to jump on a podcast right away and, and, and keep <laughs> with the whole uh, you know, track and speed. You, know, you can't, can't let it on your system, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate that you are the record holder, too, on this podcast. You've been on three times. so you, you're. Uh, well, I'm flattered and honored to be that person. <laughs> yeah, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed chatting with you. Yeah, it's always good, man. I'm, I'm excited to talk with you about how your season went and you know some of the things you learned, some of the things you're up to. and. So I yeah, it actually took me, I had to, the other two podcasts we've done, I, we had so many topics, I had to go through all these and like, I was like, oh, we already talked about that, or I talked about that, or I have short-term memory sometimes, but. Uh, well, half the time I change after <laughs> I do a podcast, I figure something else out and say, I can do this better, and I make changes. So, yeah, I'm up for anything. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, that sounds good, and yeah, that's such a, such a good philosophy to have. I think I'm similar. If someone had me on a podcast two years in a row, I kind of wonder if I, I would definitely probably change a few things myself uh so that's what you get these emails from people who you know would read an article from you know years ago and say but you said this in this place and this in this place and i'm half the time i'm thinking man i don't remember saying either one but i'm guessing they're right because i don't go back and read my articles or anything like that it's just you're always changing and you see things and you need to morph and move ahead and try and get better you know after what you see because sometimes you'll make a a change or you're doing a program or some kind of workout and it comes out differently than it did in the past and so you've always got to make those changes because it's everyone's different and responds differently to workouts and you know you've always got to be in front and then as a coach you try to generalize and think well I've got these it happened to these two guys well maybe I should do it with all 20 guys <laughs> You know, sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. So it's always a work in progress. Yeah, I enjoy just hearing you, how you talk about that in your thought process with, yeah, this worked for these guys. Will it work for these guys? And yeah. and just individualization, I think, is a huge reason that we go back and forth with a few things. I was thinking, too, just like social media and like these Internet people who are always like, yeah, well, you said this. It's it's just, I think, the proliferation of social media. Oh, you said this here, and, and now you're that, and... It's just so easy to, 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 to pick at things. Yeah. And, and that's the problem is, and that's why sometimes I don't like doing social media is, you know, I don't want to get into some argument with someone about something I said a while ago and I've changed and I don't want to, I don't feel like I have to defend myself to complete strangers or it, it's just kind of one of those weird things. I guess I'm still old school and jumping into the social media thing. Um, yeah. So I, sometimes I, I don't, I, I like to, uh, what do you do when you you forward it or uh, like not like it or on Twitter? We're oh uh, retweet, isn't it? Retweet, yeah. <laughs> Retweets are easy for me. They're, you can't get in trouble with a retweet. Yeah, no, that's yeah, that's as simple as it gets. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, I've, it took me a while to figure all that stuff out. But yeah, I think yeah, no one gets in trouble for that. I was, yeah, I was gonna say though. I mean, your results speak for yourself. It seems like you had a great season, and and so obviously what you're doing is certainly working for you. So, could you do a little yeah. recap of your season this year? How'd your team? It was do? it was an interesting season in the fact. 
Well, first of all, there's always ups and downs. Um, and it worked out this year. Well, so I've, I've, I've been with Montini for three years and I'm mostly with the boys, but I train the girls. But since the meets are mostly on the same nights, I go to the boys' meets. And I just like boys' meets. I like the testosterone. I like the, I like the power. Um, I'm not saying that girls, the girls compete just as hard and do great. Uh, but I, I tend to go to the boys' meets. And then I had an opportunity uh, to coach at Hinsdale Central, which is actually where I teach. Um, and I and I coached there for 12 years before, and that was a long time ago. That's 13 years ago. Um, but they said, you know, you can keep doing what you're doing at Montini, but you know, train. We'll train. We'll work around your schedule. Uh, so we ended up working out at 5:30 in the morning because they have a field house. But with all the sports and the proliferation of rugby, lacrosse, every other sport known to man, and everyone needs to have their time. It was strange random times that you'd be training every day rarely would you get the after school so that 5 30 in the morning thing it was open every time nobody wanted to grab that slot so yeah we'll take that so i actually had three teams this year which was uh a lot it's uh but at the same time it's more people that you can put through stuff and see what happens yeah that might be a record for high school coaches <laughs> i feel like two three teams yeah in one season. it was some people thought it might be illegal and, you know, people get weird. Um, but it was great because on all three teams, I got my sprint relays to the state meet. Um, so my boys at Hinsdale Central, we made it the 4 by 2 the 4 by 4 uh, I didn't race them in the 4 by one because uh, I thought we had – it was a – the weather wasn't right. And so I thought, let's save up for the 4 by 2 and make it for sure there. Uh, and so that was fun and exciting. Uh, my girls, we made it in all the sprint relays, uh, and we're all freshmen, sophomores, so that was exciting. Uh, and then my boys at Montini, we had uh, an interesting year. Um, we ended up, the way I see it is this. For a state track meet, there's three types of people. There's the people who are happy to be there. In, in Illinois, it's a two-day event. So you have the Friday people who are there, happy to be there, and their parents show up, and they're excited, and they appreciate the event, and those people are great. I'm not belittling them. Um, and then there's the second group that have made it to the finals, and they're just happy to be in the finals. And, you know, if you get second or ninth, the medals look the same, you're still all state and all that. And then you have the third group, which are the people that are going there to be state champs. And that's kind of the group that we thought we would be in this year. So with that in mind, we went down. Um, and I had, I had one big horse, uh, Mitch West. He's going to go to Annapolis. He places in the 100 as a sophomore, placing in the 100 and 200 as a junior. Uh, and he had an interesting offseason or football season. Uh, he got hurt twice, hurt his ankle, hurt his hip, and then uh, was ex- kicked out of the last of their of a playoff game um (laughs) the ref said that he went down he knocked a kid down and then went down to punch him and what happened was mitch knocked the kid down and actually threw his arm down to help him back up oh man the ref wouldn't change his call, so they kicked Mitch out of the game. Uh, the coach from the other team sent a video to the IHSA to show that he was, in fact, helping him up and not punching him. 
And the IHSA's rule is we don't look at video. We stay with the standby or official's call. So Mitch was at first, I'm not going out for track. I'm not doing anything with the IHSA. This is the most humiliating thing that's ever happened to me. I'm trying to be a good sport and I get thrown out of a game. So we eventually talk him into going out for track. Uh, and he's out for indoor. He does not have a good indoor because Mitch decided that he wanted to gain 15 pounds and weigh 190 pounds up from his 172 pounds from last year. And the whole year I'm telling the Mitch, man, you're too heavy. I mean, I can't even see your abs. I mean, you look and you're not running great. Um, so he got beat in an outdoor meet by a kid that he thought he should have beat. And the kid had ended up is one of the top sprinters in Illinois. And Mitch had beaten him the year before. And so this is five weeks up from the state meet. And Mitch decides, yeah, I'm into this now. Now I'm going to do it. And so he goes on a diet and he drops drops down to 173. Uh, and so we went down to the state meet and uh, he was second by a couple hundredths in the hundred. We were second in the four by one by a couple hundredths. And at that point, in the 4 by 2 we put a bunch of younger guys in just to give them experience because we didn't think Mitch could run four races, and we were right. Uh, and in the 200, he was so devastated by the 100, he goes, Coach, I'm, I'm done. Uh, I'm just going to jog this thing. I said, hey, it's your call because last year he was fourth in the 200. You know, it's your senior year. You do what you want to do. And so he went out. And you can watch him in the film. He's looking around to see where he's at to make sure he's in the back. And some kid pulled his hamstring so much <laughs> to get last. Not that it's funny that the kid pulled his hamstring. but So I think from, from most people's perspective, that would be an incredibly successful state meet. But like I said, we were gunning for winning a whole bunch of stuff and just a couple hundred short everywhere. Yeah. But you so, play, oh. that, yeah, that's... I have everyone back from every, from all my teams, so that will be exciting. That's good, man. Well, you put two guys in the hundred final, didn't you? With uh, I did, and that was a, a big. That was one of my goals: is to have two guys on the same team uh, run and make it to the hundred to qualify for the hundred. That, that happened this year, and so that was uh, a good moment. Uh, and then I trained a kid from another high school, and I've been training him all year. And he ran against Mitch in the 200, so I kind of had two guys in the finals. You know, I can't say I completely coached him because he he's not on my team, but he's a kid that I trained religiously. And uh, so that was kind of cool too. But it doesn't take away from the bitterness of you think you're going to win it and you just miss by a couple hundredths, you know. So it just makes me go back to the drawing board and, you know, for the week that we were done, you know, during my finals break, you know, I started rewriting stuff and rebuilding stuff and seeing what we needed to do better um, and what we should get rid of and, you know, again, try to hone what we're doing to make it better and more effective. So next year, maybe we'll win the four by one or the hundred or the four by two or, or something. Yeah. So take me in the mind of Chris Corfus a little bit after the season. What are some of those things? And you worked with uh, so many different groups and teams. What were some of those things that you were looking at uh, changing? Well, because adjusting? of a time situation, and we had really bad weather this spring. Uh, and it was cold all the time. I've, at our conference track meet, which was two weeks before, or here, at our sectional track meet, we had ice on the track. That's depressing. It was 41 degrees, 23 mile an hour wind out of the northeast, which if you're not from the Midwest, you know, that's a low pressure system coming off Lake Michigan and it's bad. 
Uh, and we had a kid go down in the 300 lows who slipped on the ice and coming into a hurdle five, four or five. Uh, so with the bad weather that we had, it was hard to do uh, our longer stuff, you know, our 23 second runs. And so I did a really bad job of not measuring those runs because we were so worried about getting kids off the track and getting them out of the workout as quickly as possible. Uh, we didn't measure. And so I think our speed endurance stuff became something of uh, just get a workout in, which is not something that I normally do. And I regret that because, you know, it, it showed, you know, we didn't have the speed endurance to do multiple races and run a, a really good four by two. Yeah. So that was one thing that I needed to do a better job of. Um, and I need to do a better job of coaching. Um, I spend so much time setting up equipment and setting up timers and the 1080 and all that, that I really don't get a chance to watch people run. Um, and that's, that's really what I'm, I'm, anyone can run the machines, but I'm really pretty good at watching people run and, and helping them change and getting better drills. Uh, so I kind of guess I got tied up in the technology and the technology was phenomenal. Um, and it, we got great results with that, which I can share with you as well. But, you know, in hindsight, I can probably train some to run those machines and, uh, and I can, I can actually coach instead of be a, a computer nerd. Yeah. <laughs> get up, get up off my, uh, butt sitting on the 1080, you know, running that and get up and watch people run. Yeah. But what? sitting on the back of the 1080, it did give me some interesting insight into watching people accelerate and watching different numbers come up with how different people accelerated. Uh, and that was kind of cool. And I was going to write an article about it, but I just haven't gotten around to it. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be great when it does, uh, <laughs> when it does come out there. And I, I know, um, yeah, it's, it's people talk about it a lot. Like, I, I mean, and clearly the, the tech you use in the 1080 gave you some great results. But at the end of the day, coaching and, and kind of, you know, getting that emotional level in the athlete and the feedback and, and all that, not letting that take away or never letting that get diminished, I guess, is, is um, the core. <laughs> yeah. And that's, you know, and, you know, it felt like a breath of fresh air when I actually got to get up and go watch people run or even videotape people running and, and show them, break down their film with them, um, which I did put some of that stuff up on YouTube. Um, it kind of showed how my kids progressed over the year with, uh, you know what I saw early on and and where they got to and I haven't done a final yet in fact they were just here today working out and I should have done it today because it's finally warm it's actually 80 degrees here hmm. so that was uh I should have filmed them but we started messing around with uh with the 1080 and kind of got distracted I know that was such an awful kind of a tease of sorts when I was in the midwest like it would be 40 for a meet and terrible and the next day or two days later it'd be like 75 and it was just yeah. like Oh, it was always such a, it was just such a, and you actually plan your training, training around what the weather is. And you look at weather bug and you look at the 10 day and the five day and in the Midwest, as you know, uh, it changes hourly and they're always wrong. So you're trying to plan stuff based on the weather report. Oh, look at this. I think we can get some flies in here. Oh, it's going to be 70. We can do over speed on this day, but it's back to back workouts. Yeah, but we got to get it in because the next two days it's rain and forty-five degrees. And so that's it's kind of what happens here in the Midwest. Do you do you find yourself um, like adjusting your drop-offs almost compared to like like if it's going to be a nice day and you can get flies and then it's going to be lousy for like three or four days? Do you hit a, high, a harder drop-off ever? Absolutely. If 
and again, as we know, the weather changes. Only true Midwesterners can can uh, know that pain. But yeah, if I see it's going to be bad, uh, we'll do more. Um, and if it's cold out and it's the only day we can do it, I, we will do less because I, I think the the temperature has an impact on what your body can do um, and what it can put out. And I don't want to push that, even though we may have to race uh, in cold. If if it's cold and we're, we have a meet, I'll cut my kids way back down because I don't want them to have to continually warm up. Um, but we'll change we'll change our volume absolutely depending on the week forecast and what the weather is at the time. And even the wind has a huge impact. Um, whether it's in your face or it's at your back or if it's the wind's really cold, if the wind, and again, this is a Midwestern thing, if the wind is 20 degrees colder than the temperature, that has a huge impact on what it feels like outside. Yeah, it sounds, um, it kind of makes me think to the last podcast we uh, I did with you and Dan, you were talking about factorization. It'd be like if it was really cold out all week, it would kind of be like a big factorize. Like you couldn't train as hard each day, you'd have to train more often. And yeah. And go out, you warm up really good, you get two or three in, and then you bail. Uh, because, you know, if you give them the full rest, they're going to start to cool down. And, you know, it's different than, be in, than being in Arizona where it's 80 or 90, and you can just kind of stroll around and your body stays warm. To, if it's 50 out and you're running and nobody likes running with their sweats on because uh, that makes it cumbersome, uh, you've got to really be careful with what you do and, and you warm them up and you try and keep them moving for a short period of time and then you get them out. Yeah. Which, you know, the joys of coaching in Illinois, yeah, in yeah. Northern Illinois, because if you go down to Southern Illinois, Southern Illinois is pretty far south. The Southern tip of Illinois is as far south as Southern Virginia. So St. Louis people have a diff completely different weather pattern than we have here. I mean, we got Great Lakes weather pattern. And you being a, a Wisconsin person, you understand the Great Lakes weather patterns. Yeah, yeah, it's it's bad. Yeah, I had similar conference meets back when I was when I was competing in high school. And I was like, oh. Um, I was going to ask you one of the questions uh, that I had throughout the course of the show, but I'll, I'll bump it up because you mentioned something about you. You weren't able to get the 23-second runs as much as you, you typically do. And uh, one of the things, and you talked about individualization too, so maybe this can be kind of our first kickoff of like a, a more of a big-time training question and idea, is uh, what's your take on, well, one thing, what's your take on how not being able to do that that um, anaerobic bracket two, or for those who don't know, like I guess nine to 40-second work, but you know, 23 as far as what you were doing. And um, what were some impacts of not being able to do it? And can you make that up if you can't run? Like, could you do like a, a lift or a jump for that time? How do you address that? So some things that we tried to do that I've done in the past that I probably should have done this year. Uh, we used to do tramp runs where we'd get out a mini trampoline and you kind of go down into a half squat and you sprint in that position for the 40 seconds. Uh, we did. I did that a lot at York, and it worked pretty well. Uh, I didn't go to it this year because all my trampolines are broke. Um, and that, and we do line hops, but again, line hops isn't the same as sprinting. I think it, you don't have the impact on your body, and it doesn't gas you like it does if you sprint 23 seconds. Uh, one thing that we did do this year that I thought was really kind of cool, and that I'm doing a lot of now. Uh, is to try and unstable the, the environment for your line hops is I take one of those foam cushions, you know, one of those blue things that you can buy. It's a square. I'm drawing pictures for Joel <laughs> on the screen that nobody can see. Um, 
and put something hard next to it and we'll do line hops on and off because if the ground is unstable your ankle has to stiffen up so every hop that you take you're constantly changing the environment to train your ankles to be stiffer and that is by the way my my goal this summer is i am going to work really hard on figuring out the ankle foot stuff uh to make that more efficient uh Ken Clark is coming out in July, and we're going to do some stuff with the 1080 and overspeed training and apply that to his two, his new model that he has for predicting speed, um, and I'm really excited about that. That's the, I think we're doing it right after 4th of July. He's coming out for three days, oh, so cool. that will be, I don't know if I'm supposed to say that or not, but <laughs> yeah. I'm excited about it. Yeah. Um, uh, and he's bringing uh, he's bringing some other equipment out, and we're going to kind of come up with some stuff that will be really exciting that I'm I'm really looking forward to. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people in that two factor model of Ken Clark, a lot of people only look at the top the top part of the model and not the not the bottom part, the yeah. the shin and lower leg. There there is some research that came out this year uh, about the foot, and I think the number they put was 80 percent of the work that happens when you sprint is is in your foot and ankle. Uh, but like Ken's model, which is a great picture where, you know, the ankle or from the knee down is a different color than the rest of the body. If we're truly looking at how we're training, you know, we spend 80% of the time working on everything above that knee, you know, how big, how strong can we make our hamstrings? How big can we make our butt? You know, all that stuff and very little time on the, the lower part. And, And some people may argue that, well, maybe you don't need to, you just need to sprint, but I think there's some more to it than that. Yeah, yeah. I always, I, I always kind of think twice. Like I, I mean, in my background, I've done strength training for track, but a track coach, and and look at all these you know, biomechanics and different athletes, and you occasionally see like it's like I'll look at all this stuff on on building like the glutes and hips, and then I'll see a sprinter who's got almost no butt and it's like a pogo stick off their toes and and yeah. those types of things, you know. I think if you watch uh, the three A state finals. Or I actually watched the prelims from Friday. There were two kids. One was Tony Hollers, Marcellus Moore, who's a freshman, who ran 10-4-1. Yeah, he, he blew it out of the water. And the kid who beat him was a kid that I've happened to work with as well. So I, I've seen these kids up close run. His name is uh, Declan Ruste. Uh, he's a junior. And he ran 10-4 flat, both in the same heat. If you watch them, they both have very different body types and they both move differently. But the universal thing is how their foot hits the ground and how they just bounce along. Uh, and that, I think that's the magic of Marcellus is he's got this incredible lower limb that just seems to bounce his body along. Because if you look at him, he, you know, I'm guessing he weighs 135 pounds, but yet he just scoots right along. And he doesn't even have the big knee you know the big knee drive or anything like that it's just it's literally like he's a rock skipping across the track at 10.41 <laughs> speed for a 15 year old kid yeah. which is amazing yeah that's that's really cool it almost makes me think i was just watching um i've been trying to up my jumps knowledge a little bit i was just watching some old um boosh next triple jump uh, instructional dvds and they were just talking about like in their bounding progressions they for triple, they don't even coach the knee drive. It's more just the hip and the vertical force and, and how the athlete's interacting with the ground. And it kind of makes me think like that. You don't you can get around without necessarily having that classical super knee drive. I, I agree. I, and that's what we saw this year at the state track meet was the two kids that won't, that were first and second. Um, they didn't have that. It's just they literally skipped across the track, which was exciting to see. It was fun to see. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's something I, I really have been thinking about that a lot in the past year, like just how the, the, how the athlete interacts with the track through the feet and the glutes is, is more important than hitting these preconceived positions that so-and-so hit. So yeah, you could get it too and ignoring the push and those types of things. Yeah, because both both these guys were a little short guys. Uh, they're neither. Declan's built pretty well, but I don't think he's more than five seven, five eight. Really. Um, and Marcellus is certainly not that tall either. Uh, so being able to work with them, you know, I've seen up close. I didn't work with either one extensively. You know, I've seen them up close run and talk to them and stuff like that. But just to watch them run and see that difference was really kind of cool. Yeah. That's that's awesome. If there's a video out there on, on YouTube floating around, I'll have to put in the show notes if I can find it. So yeah, I'm sure it's up there. Um, Illinois is a huge state track meet. It's a big deal. I mean, there's thirty thousand people that show up at this thing. Yeah, yeah, that sounds good. I'll I'll try to find that. Um, so I was gonna say too, going back to the the AN one AN two stuff. So AN one like zero to nine seconds, AN two longer capacity based work. And I was just talking um, a recent podcast I with Andreas Bame down at. Altus about like um, just different ways of like potentiation and some athletes who might do better with the short stuff some athletes who might do better with the stuff in the in the second bracket uh, what's your thoughts on um, or your experience with individualization based out of those brackets do you find like some athletes should almost or could almost do more work in the second bracket or are more disposed predisposed for one or the other at least on the high school level and who you're working with yeah absolutely um, I think they are chemically predisposed to do to be able to do more. Um, and working with Carrie Heidkotter and all of her crazy equipment, um, and having the ability to send my athletes to her and have her look at them through her equipment, you know, she can tell you who's going to be your 400 meter runner. And how does she know that? Well, she looks at how well your mitochondria works and all of your different uh, energy systems, and she, and she's usually pretty right. Um, and she'll say, this is your 200-meter runner, this is your 100-meter runner, this kid should be running distance. Uh, and so I think for, depending on what your training is, I, I think that you may miss the boat if you have people that are predisposed to do stuff. Uh, we've all seen the athlete, okay, we've got four guys that want to be 400-meter runners. They're all doing the same workout, but yet only two of them are getting better. Why is that? Well, Johnny must be partying too much or whatever. You know, none of us ever want to look at, well, what's going on at a cellular level? Because mm -hmm. really that's where your energy comes from. Um, so she's been great because she can kind of give you an idea of where those time frames are, about where where you should be working the people, where their ultimate spot is. Um, but I think you, as a coach and you don't have her around, you can always look at, you know, this kid keeps bailing at 40 seconds, this kid's bailing at 20 seconds, and you can either play the game of, all right, we want to increase that capacity and make him work to 30 seconds, or today we just really want to develop more of a, a strength base and we'll keep the numbers really low. Yeah. And that's why I like to use 30 seconds. It's kind of right down the middle of that and two, uh, that, that uh, category or that, that realm. Yeah, are you talking to watching people like sprint for time and when do the wheels fall off or do or just different exercises? Yeah, uh, both. I mean, you, we, we all know when the wheels come off and it's painfully obvious when that happens. Uh, but that's that's kind of, I have a student who's uh, at U of I and he's working on this. Uh, but it wouldn't be awesome if you had some kind of monitor where you could measure speed 
and say the kid's running a 200 or a 400 or 300 whatever and you can see where that starts to break down where they start to lose that velocity and you can cut them and now you can actually work toward that velocity to help improve that distance i think that's the best way to that would be an awesome way to do it the problem is the satellite exchange is too slow for a sprinter because uh, they said it's three to four seconds and half the time that's way too way too long for us to realize to cut it yeah if the if the 1080 only went out to 300 meters and there was a straight track for 300 meters that's right and it yes. could move so you could run yeah. the curve yeah, yeah, that'd be a little difficult setup. Uh, what was it? Oh, sorry, go ahead, go ahead Chris. Uh, I was going to ask. Um, yeah, so what was your? Ex- uh, could you talk a little bit about your experience with the 1080 this past year? I know we had talked about this a few months ago, kind of how you were using it, and, and to determine a little bit more about an athlete's sprint profile. Uh, how did you utilize it this year, and what were some of the things you saw out of it? So we've we did a lot of uh, toe work, meaning acceleration work. And we used uh, Cameron Joss. You had Cameron on, right? Yeah, yeah. Episode 35, I think. His stuff is right on. Um, and and, and 1080s trying to deal work with this. Uh, and they have. You, you double it. You can now double the line and make it harder. But uh, most of the work is happening on that machine at about a 20 to 25 kilogram pull. That's where we're seeing the biggest results. Um, their maximum at 15 kilos for their first gear uh, is effective for people who are getting to 10 meters at about 6.5 meters per second or less. So that's your girls. So for girls or, or lesser runners, uh, it works really well. And by the way, uh, for novice runners, it works phenomenally. You see incredible improvements week after week. And eventually it tapers off, but uh it's a no-brainer for, for for younger kids or kids that haven't don't have a lot of experience running. Um, but for my older kids, uh, we had to go to the second gear, and we got really good work done at the heavier loads, just like Cameron talked about. So his research, from what I have seen, and I used it with, let's see, how many kids? I probably have 45 kids that are on there religiously. Uh, his numbers are right on. Uh, and when you get it right, it works really well. Uh, overspeed training, we only had a couple warm days, and we had uh, kind of a mess up at a track meet where some team happened to show up, and I know the coach well, showed up. They thought we had a meet, and they got it wrong. So their team was there, and it was a warm day. And we had the flies out. We were doing fly tens with overspeed training, which overspeed training is a great, great way to get some great fly times. The potentiation is incredible. And so I had these completely random kids that I was pulling at about 10.5 meters per second, uh, 11 meters per second. And then they'd go over and they were running these incredible fly times because the the coach, he does flies too, and he's got – he's got a free lap system. And so we dumped him over onto our free lap. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's the overspeed stuff is nuts. Um, what I've found though, with the overspeed though, is if you get a kid that's got a lot of pelvic tilt, like they can't stabilize their pelvis, it is not a good time to do overspeed (laughs) training. Uh, they spend way too much time breaking. Even if you take them to the speed of what their top fly time is, their body doesn't like that. Uh, so that's one thing that I've learned. Okay, a kid that's got a lot of pelvic tilt and they're a little wobbly through there, 
uh, they're not overspeed training. But if you have a kid that's solid and they have a really good foot strike, it's magic. It's 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 incredible. Yeah, you're still doing a lot of work where you mentioned you put out the pieces of track, and I think at TFC four or three you talked about you and Dan even doing it over like mini hurdles and stuff. You still doing yeah. anything like that? Uh, or new, new stuff there? I haven't I haven't done mini hurdles in a while, and that's just because it's a pain to set up. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a long time to set that up, uh, but we do throw pieces of track out there uh, just to change the environment of where that foot hits and create some uh, try and create some learning for the body about good contacts yeah in a, in a perfect world like if you were you know transported down to the the sunshine states you're in california texas florida uh somewhere where it's nice year round how often would you do over speed would you have like kind of assigned periods or oh uh, perfect world and again this is me not being able to do it but just coming off the top of my head i would do a toe day an acceleration day I would do uh, an overspeed fly day, and I would do a force day. Um, that was one thing that we really worked on this year was getting, creating a lot of force on that first step to get your body moving as quickly as possible. Um, and when we got that to work with a couple people and we increased their newtons or their force on the 1080, uh, their mechanics changed in their acceleration. Um, and if you look at this new research that came out, it's called Association of Step With and with Accelerated Sprinting Performance and Ground Reaction Force by Ryu Nagahara. Uh, the Japanese are starting to put their stuff out. It's awesome. Um, JB Moran mentioned it on one of his tweets and said, hey, this came out. I really like this guy's work. So I got it. And uh, it's really cool. He talks about uh, the width of your feet. Uh, he, does, he did a really cool cool setup and by the way he's got a I think he's got a hundred meters of uh force plates that's nice yeah and but he's measuring the distance between the feet uh width wise and he took how many sprinters was it it was a bunch of sprinters and all the way down the line the wider your steps when you accelerate even at top end speed the faster you run and so what I found looking at that and watching my kids run is the faster you push out the better you can get your legs wider. And when your legs get wider, you have a better ability to get to your big toe and get a better drive where your force is being pushed in a forward fashion instead of some diagonal direction. Yeah, spinning off like the little toes. Yeah. Uh, and so when I saw this, when I read this, I've, I've probably read this thing five times now, uh, but really cool stuff about what this guy found. Um the width between your first and second step, and he has a cool way of figuring it out. It's about 12 inches, and you work down to about, I forgot the, the distance, but I think really good sprinters have about four inches between where their feet hit. Uh, but it's definitely worth checking out. Uh, it's short, and it's very well written, and it's just kind of cool to think about different ways that you can train and help build those things. Yeah, I'll throw that in the show notes too. That sounds like a really cool study. So kind of a in short, it's kind of like you start step two, you're about 12 inches apart of the, the foot and you work up to four or whatever it is as you go up the top. Yeah, speed. hang on, I'll get you the actual numbers. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, take your time. I can, I can cut the weight out, the, the suspense for the, the audience. Uh, let's see here. Oh, I had it here. Uh, between steps one and four, it's 0.31 
meters, uh, 5 to 8.22 meters, uh, nine to steps 9 to 12.14 meters, and then at 13 to 16, all the way to well, 13 to 16 is 0.11, and then it's about 0.1 meters between foot, which is about a, it's about that far. Like, again, I'm on Skype, only you can see that. Uh, it's 0.09 meters, the distance between these people, and uh, and those are your top sprinters. Cool. But it's cool. He's got a lot of cool stuff in there. Um, I didn't. I had more to add to some of his conclusions uh, because he doesn't get into the foot much at all, and the importance of the foot. He stayed mostly in the hips. But I'm not going to email him. I'll just sit on that one myself. <laughs> yeah, but kind of like saying the the when the the lateral chain is is firing and you're getting that proper distance and the motor controls are then that that opens up the ability for the toe. To, to get to the big toe and if you're crossing that's right over, because that's all you got yeah that's, you have to get there because you can't get to the outside of your foot if your foot is that wide uh, so like I said before the faster you push out in those early steps the uh, projection that's what Stu McMillan called it um, the better chance you have of getting to that big toe and the wider you can get and the more the more force you get and then eventually down the road you know by steps three through whatever you know the more power you're going to generate because you're actually using the foot the way it's supposed to be used that's interesting it makes all the sense in the world to me i'm almost getting these like flashbacks of athletes i've i've videoed on coach's eye like accelerating from the back view and the ones who don't have that big toe firing their their feet are like close together the whole time but i never I kind of yeah. put it together until you just mentioned it. It's right kind of like the bicycle that doesn't go very fast. It's kind of wobbly, right? And it kind of goes back and forth. When you have something that doesn't push out, they kind of wobble like a wobbly bike. And I only know this because I sat and stared at people's butts at the back, sitting on my 1080. <laughs> I was going to so say, you got plenty of, plenty of exposure you know, <laughs> Watch it over and over and over again. So I had to start looking for something. And, uh, that's and then this research came out, and it all kind of made sense. Oh yeah, that's great. That's really really cool stuff. I like that a lot. And uh, yeah, you learned so much uh, too from that that rear view. I think it's probably un you probably don't see a lot of coaches standing there. Like people are always off to the side. But a, and I'm not just standing there. I'm sitting at my head is at butt level. So because <laughs> I sit on the 1080. Because you get some stronger kids. Sometimes they'll pull it, uh, and I don't want it to jerk that much because it screws up my readings. Uh, so I'm right at butt level and. That's what I'm watching for. That's that's cool, man. Uh, I have two, so I have two questions kind of following up, and hopefully I don't forget my order. And uh, but I want to ask you. Uh, I'll, I'll start with that that force day. Um, you had mentioned like the force day. You're working on zero step speed. Uh, a couple of questions there. One, well, I know is the 1080. That's probably your main training stimulus. There, are you supplementing that with any types of weights or resistance training? Um, it depends on where I'm training at. Um, if I'm at Montini. We just do a single leg broad jump almost without a counter movement because that's what we're doing in the blocks, right? Uh, it's a, There's no counter movement when you're coming out of the blocks. So I want them to push out as far as we can. And then I use that gait to kind of measure how far they go. Um, if I'm at Hinsdale Central, we have sleds, uh, like prowler sleds. And we'll put your body weight on that, and it's how far can you shove that thing in two steps? And that's something Ken Clark and I kind of came to that we would try, and it worked really well. Um, and if I'm at my house, 
I use my shuttle MVP to kick back, which in my opinion is the best thing that I've, that, that works awesome for that, that I've had really good results with that shuttle MVP kicking back. You're face down, you have one knee down, you can put up as many bands as you want. I kind of, I hook my gym aware up to it so I know how fast you're pushing it because I'm trying to get you to get, you know, to three meters per second as quickly as possible. And I can play with that. You know, if I want to overload you, I'll make you slower. But, and then we kick off from there. And that's worked really well because I think that gets you in a, a good push position. Yeah, that gym aware is kind of like the, the magic ticket there in a sense, like, because you can actually quantify and really drive intent through that specific position. That's that's right. And that's that's kind of what you want. And I think that magic number is 3.5 meters per second. That's how fast you got to get going uh, to to not wobble like a slow bike. Uh, so also with uh, with the force day, Chris, are you are you doing any strength tr- like traditional or, or DB hammer style strength stuff? on that force day that complements or you, or does that change at all through the time of season? Um, earlier in the season we do like the triphasic single leg squat stuff. Um, if I'm at Hinsdale central at Montini, they don't have a weight room that allows you to do very much of anything. So we don't do that there. And if I'm at home, uh, or I do drag my K box to Montini to do that. And we, to work on that, we'll double plate it. And we'll just go from the start. So you get you get to push out kind of at an angle. And then we don't do the, you know, we stop the wheel, we load it again, and you got to shove out again. Oh, concentric uh, only and, then. Yeah, concentric only, which is you put two plate, two wheels on that thing, and that's a big shove. That's a big shove. Yeah, that's a t- and is that from like the rear foot elevated split squat position or how are you how are you setting up on that? We're doing, uh, so I move the K box away from the wall a couple of feet and you have to have someone stand on the back of the K box. And so you kind of get it a 45 degree angle and then you shove with one leg. And so you're actually, again, I'm drawing pictures on Skype, but you're pushing up at a 45 degree angle and you're driving that, driving two to your big toe and trying to drive your knee up. And then you stop it. You stop the plate, you rewind it. And then you go again. I think that's a great tool. I think it's underrated in what you have to do to develop force on that K box. Yeah. Uh, Everyone's into the rebound and the eccentric work. But if you put two plates on that thing and you load it up, good luck getting that thing moving fast, (laughs) which is force, right? Yeah. I mean, that's what what force is. And it's specific, too, to acceleration. And it's specific. Yeah. It's it's force in its purest sense. Uh, So that's kind of – that's – (laughs) <laughs> again i have to change hats depending on where i'm at and go with what whatever equipment i have that's a skill though it's a skill it's a skill coaching in the midwest uh i think uh it's like an a whole ad- additional course the traditional yeah, spin it's creativity spin. Yeah. <laughs> what can you what crap can you create <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i like i like that the, the all these outputs though like are measured like the shuttle do you use the the meter at all on the is there a way to measure that uh that you use with the k box you just kind of let them rip it, it since you're already quantifying other stuff in the day um that would i have not used the k meter because <laughs> uh it's just one more thing that i got to monitor yeah you're already measuring like the 1080 and other stuff yeah so you only want to measure and, so many things in a day. and really what i'm interested in is uh ultimately the velocity on the 1080 yeah, that's, the, that's uh, so the we're main. building around to that. Uh, that's cool. I, I like that stuff, Chris. I, it was really, 
really interesting on ways to to get more of the K box. I've I've seen like I, the first time I heard a concentric only was like Ryan Horn uh, over at Wake Forest and t- some squat stuff, and I had never even thought about it for a sprint start, but yeah, it makes good sense. Yeah, I tried uh, <laughs> in my basement. I got tie downs, you know, a winch, and I winched it so it was laying on its side. And then tried to do starts from that position, and that didn't work so well. <laughs> it kind of reminds me of a, a, a drill. I don't know if you've seen it. Are you familiar with the Versapulley? So, like, before the K-Box? Yeah, the that's Versapulley. kind of what I was trying to do. Yeah, yeah, like, you tie it up, and you kind of go, it takes you forward and back in, like, a rhythmic motion. It's a little awkward, but, it. I mean, it maybe for rugby or football, it'd be a little bit more. The concentric yeah. part was good, but the, <laughs> when it pulls back, and you're kind of in that bent-over position, and the... K boxes spinning on the the iron pole through the middle of my basement. It was not safe. Yeah, it was not safe. Yeah, I think the one thing with the Versa play, I always felt like it that transition from the eccentric con- to concentric was just a little faster than at least the older K boxes. And so maybe yeah. I can imagine if there's like that little bit of lag and you're kind of waiting for it, and then it's like boom on the way back. It could be yeah, a little much for that specific iteration at least. Well, and Cal Dietz gets his. Uh, his new 1080 machines hopefully up at minnesota i'll go up there and play with him and see what we can do with that uh what is he's getting the quantums i think oh really yeah that's awesome i always every time you and cal get together man it's always good stuff so it'll be, it'll be exciting <laughs> uh yeah he's supposed to, he's building this phenomenal place um they gave him a lot of money supposedly and it's supposed to start happening in november i think oh cool yeah you guys are going to come up with some good stuff that should be should be. Uh, I'm interested to hear how that goes. I, I before I forget, I got to get to the second question of that little series. So you talked about the force day. Uh, you had mentioned the feet, little toe, uh, and I know you've shown this a little bit in some of the videos you've done on YouTube and things. But and you've mentioned this, but foot spin. Uh, so can you talk a little bit about what does a perfect toe off look like if you're say watching from the front or the back, and then what are some things that you're you're doing for that you can do for that and then how are you using you mentioned i think the k box in that equation um so most of most of the business end of a con of a, a contact and force takes place in that front part you know some people again i think we're looking at 70 80 percent of of what's going on and ken clark's stuff says this too is happening when you hit the ground but i think that tail end when you come off, like if you come off the side of your foot, you're actually pushing in another direction. And so to counterbalance that, you have to throw your arm out more for the way that toe comes off. Uh, and our vision is what actually guides us to go to go to the finish line or go to where we want to go. So I think if you get through to your big toe, you're, the finishing part of that contact is going to drive you forward. Uh, so a good one would look like a, a good a good example of coming off the side of your foot. Uh, you can watch for the end result. Uh, your swing leg will go behind your plant leg, your stance leg. Uh, it will disappear, and then you get that that narrow looking runner. Um, a good runner, they may come. Uh, that foot's going to stay underneath or behind their butt. Uh, to kind of play with that a little bit, I did something that's probably illegal, but. I had my son go out and run in the street, and he got to see. And so now we're looking at how his vision is guiding his form. And then I took a blindfold, and I had my son run down the street with a blindfold, and his form completely changed. 
Uh, it was it was incredible. In fact, where he thought he was going straight, he was actually veering off into the grass. <laughs> wow! But that was that was his body thinking it was that was his body working the way it thought it should be working without the vision to guide it. So something like your vision can completely change how you run, and that's kind of what I was looking for. Again, that's an article coming, uh, and it only cost me twenty bucks for my son to do it. That's that was his uh, payoff moment. Uh, you pay, you paid him twenty dollars to run with the blindfold. Was that it? Yeah, twice. <laughs> he had to run twice with the blindfold. <laughs> That's a good way to get your allowance. Yeah, he's he's like that. He'll do anything for money. Uh, but it was cool to see how much his form changed when he took away his vision, uh, because now his body thought it was going straight. So anyway, back to the big toe and how that that guides. Uh, your foot hits, ideally it rolls through and it gets to your big toe and that's what's guiding you forward. Um, you'll see people that depart early and their foot will kind of turn in. Um, it's going to turn in some, but some people it almost becomes parallel to the ground and that's someone who's coming off the side of their foot. Then um, there's a lot of reasons for that. It can be uh, lack of ankle rocker. It can be uh, your toes you you can't physically get to your big toe. You're 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 not rolling through enough. Um, there's so many different things that can go wrong there. Um, so stuff that we do to help prevent that, uh, we have spins. Those spin balls, not balls, but boards that rotate. Sometimes with some athletes, uh, they lack the internal rotation in their hip to bring them through so we do spinners where we stand on the thing and you have to hold your hips completely still and rotate your foot inward um, another thing that seems to work pretty well is we put the mats down in between the mini hurdles you know half inch inch mat uh, so your foot doesn't have time to come off funny it's, it, it hits early and so it's got to things have to happen faster yeah um, running with water bags has helped a lot and one really weird thing that I did, I was just making stuff up. I couldn't believe it worked. It, it worked with two kids. They're coming off hard on the outside. They're hard on the outside of foot, and they weren't following through. And so I said, "All right, let's try something. I want you to run over the hurdles, and I want you to take your arms and crisscross them out in front. So stick your arms out in front like Frankenstein, and cross them. And so there they go. And all of a sudden, it disappeared. I was like, I just made that stuff up. I was just. <laughs> just improvising and, and it worked. And so I asked Carrie Egan, uh, she's a chiropractor who does a lot of neuro, neurological stuff. And she goes, yeah, that probably did something in the brain where I forgot all the words she used, but it, it changed something and it got them to come through more. Um, and so that was kind of wild. Yeah. And one of the kids was, uh, his dad's the head track coach at Nico Valley, which is this powerhouse cross country track school. And, uh, He's like, I can't, I can't believe that. That was like magic. And I act like, yeah, yeah, that's what we do when stuff like that happens. And yeah, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, I just completely pulled that out of my butt. They completely made that up and it just happened to work. So, and you know what? And if it didn't work, you'd say, ah, okay, it's a bad idea. Let's move on. Let's, let's try something else. Yeah. I, I like that a lot. I, I wonder if there's <clears> like the way it kind of stretches the fascia too, or I, I mean, I just think there's a lot of cool things with that drill. Yeah. It, I think it gets into the cross crawl pattern stuff and you know she's really into the the baby development stuff and, and it, it takes you way back to that stuff which uh again someone was talking about I forgot who it was but getting to the big toe that you can see that as early as in a crawl pattern 
Uh, you can watch people who don't make it to their big toe and have them get down and do a crawl and watch how they don't use their big toe and they crawl. But people who can get through to their big toe, you have them drop down and crawl and their big toe is digging into the ground. So I think it was Carrie who talked about this. Um, and uh, she said you can – it takes a while but you can reprogram that pattern by taking them back and, you know – have them crawl and get through to their big toe uh, and use that because it takes you back to that basic neural level and you're going to try and repattern it yeah from that from the beginning so like you're talking about your daughter getting up and walking i was going to say well watch her crawl and see what's going on with her big toe if she's grabbing with her big toe or is she just sliding her legs along <laughs> and her feet are just kind of laying there yeah, and, she's, and you'll see and like you talked about before we started the podcast how fun it is to watch babies and developmental, you know, developmental age move in uh, how soon they're already picking up patterns that will have a great impact down the road. And what can we do to change it at that point? I know that's kind of a weird parent thing, but you never know. Yeah, no, I, I, I'm like really stoked that you mentioned that. I think that's really cool because I was actually noticing that. Like I, my daughter, she was out at the, I try not to, I'm trying not to be the overzealous, you know, parent here. I'm trying to be very calm and 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 you know whatever she wants to do is is cool and then not get too much into it but it's just fun to watch kids move and the other day she was crawling on the grass on her hands and knees and then she encountered the the concrete and she started picking her knees up off the ground crawling only on her hands and feet and i noticed she really would push off that big toe she was very preferential to the big toe side but i just thought oh you know it's I don't know it's maybe it's just how her feet angle or whatever but i'd never made that connection before until you said that so that's kind of cool yeah it's it's wild stuff you wish you could go back because my kids are older now you wish you go back and try stuff i know i i was the crazy parent i had people look at my kids when they were younger and watch them move uh, robert lardner is an expert in that stuff he's in the city in chicago here uh and he he helped my daughter out quite a bit when she was younger yeah it, it's such a fascinating thing i uh, it's been enjoyable for me and I, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up I got two questions for you uh, left, Chris. Uh, well, one, I just want to ask you what you're up to. But before I get to that, I, I wanted to ask you something. We had, uh, either, I think we'd emailed about it at some point ago, but I, how your ideas and progressions on bounding have changed over the years. How have you gone, how have you moved along in those worlds? Because I know the old stuff back you know, 10 years ago, there was a lot of bounding type things you're doing. And it seems like uh, that's maybe changed a little bit over the years. And I just wanted to ask you about that. Yeah, I don't do it anymore. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Easy enough. Next question. <laughs> um, the reason why is there's too much heel striking. It was too different from sprinting because I saw people who could really bound and they couldn't sprint, and then people who could really sprint and they couldn't bound. And then I started looking at film and as to why people were doing different things, and I, I just thought it was too much heel strike. Uh, getting out in front. I, I think the person that really turned me off is when I had Chris Brown here, the Bahamian sprinter, and I had him bound. I wanted to see what his five bound thing was because that's when I, I wrote that article a long time ago about uh, based off someone, I think it's, I forgot the guy's name, his his research. And Chris Brown, who's probably one of the fastest people in the history of track and field, he couldn't bound to save his life and his form was horrible. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. How can that be? This this is Chris Brown. I said, no. And so then I started doing looking at more people. I'm thinking, you know what? I don't know if I'm getting out of this what 
I hope to get out of it. You know, if it's from an acceleration standpoint, um, and again, I don't have jumpers. I don't train jumpers. Um, I can get you down the board, fa- down the, the runway faster, but I don't know what to do with the board. Um, but I, I, I just didn't see, I, I didn't see the carryover. Um, there's too much heel contact with too many people. Um, and the angles were wrong, I think. Uh, if you're looking from an acceleration standpoint, uh, they're not at an acceleration angle. And I think the body works differently at different angles. Um, so I don't bound anymore. And I know I should, or I probably should. Uh, there's cool software out there for bounding, but I, I, I just never, it didn't work for me. It didn't work for me. Um, and I'm not saying that it's bad and I'm sure there's people who love bounding and that's awesome. Keep bounding. Uh, but it, I just didn't see it for me. So I don't do it. I, I totally get that. I would have been in a different boat. I think it was about the time you said it and about the time JB Marin's heavy sled stuff came out and about the time I sent you a picture of myself accelerating that I think it all came together. Like, cause I sent you the picture of me sprinting sure. my, my old butt not very fast but I, I my my foot or my shin was casting way out in front of my hips and you showed me that um, video or picture of Ronnie Baker and how he's you know under he's using he's his foot's in such a better place and and I was like you know I've been bounding like my whole life I've been a triple jump and all these I've probably bounded more meters than I could even care to remember and it's almost impossible for me to I'm so in that shin cast out mode. I, I when I try to pull a heavy sled and think about the right things, it's it's really, really, really hard to get my foot under my hip. It's and that yeah, kind of made and, sense to me there. And I don't see that happening in bounding. I mean, ideally, it'd be great if in the air you could cycle that leg down and slam that sucker right underneath. But man, that's hard to do. It takes a long time to train, and I'm thinking I, I get more out of it if we just go run some flies. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's the only way I feel like you can do it is kind of like that mini bounding. That's almost more like, it's almost more like the first phase of triple jump in a, in a, and then it's almost not even bounding where the foot comes down underneath or I I don't know what I'm saying. I'm probably butchering a bunch of things, but kind of like bounding where you you have a bit your knee gets way out in front and then you really hammer the foot down right under the center of mass. But it's not everyone can do that. That's kind of a difficult skill. You know, I think I you know watching the Altus stuff. Um, you know, they do dribbles, and I think the dribbles are much better than the bounding um and i don't really understand the dribbles or anything like that i'm investigating them uh (laughs) but to me that's that looks like more appropriate type of bounding where there's they're stepping up and over and they're getting that foot to plant underneath with a good foot plant um that looks more that looks more realistic to me or more usable for sprinting yeah, it's I I guess it takes me back to well what everyone's saying get the position first and then you can put power behind it. It's like bounding is almost like power without the position as far as speed is concerned. Yeah, that's what I think. That's what I that's what I think. Cool. I'm excited for you to yeah, I I see you I almost picture you like hooking up the 1080 appeal for dribbling drills or something like I've tried it. <laughs> <laughs> you know nice. what actually I, again I may be completely wrong. But you've been to my house, so you understand oh, yeah. my driveway. But you know how I have that slight decline, that slight hill? Mm-hmm. We've been doing dribbles down that hill, yeah. and it works really well. That's nice. I don't know why. And I only know that because, I, for people who don't know, my driveway's got to be 60 yards long. Wouldn't you say, Joel? Yeah, I think so. <clears throat> so i got to take the garbage out because my son is worthless and won't do it. Um <laughs> 
And so when it's cold out, I don't wear shoes and I'm dragging stuff out there on Friday morning and getting back in. I don't want to overstride running back in because I'll slip. So I ended up doing dribbles down the hill and I thought, holy crap, did that feel awesome? All right, let me try that again. Yeah, that's, I think there's something to this. Next time someone comes over, hey, do this. Try doing this down this hill and tell me what you think. And, you know, I do this with my older kids. I've been training a while. I ask them to try things and tell me what they think. So, yeah, this is pretty good. So I don't know if there's anything to it. And I may be completely wrong, but it sure feels pretty good. And it feels like my ground, my, my contact is really good. <clears throat> Not that I'm a great sprinter at 48 years old, but I still try stuff. Hey, feeling it, feeling is so important to the whole, the whole process. And so yeah, sure it feels good. Yeah. I think that the, the higher up you get, the, the, the more advanced you are, the more, the more important the feeling is and, and what you feel and the rhythm. And uh, that was something that we really worked on with Mitch this year. And Mitch ran great. I mean, he ran 10.64, which is a great time. Um, it's two tenths faster than he ran last year. But that was something that we really worked on on the end of his races is his rhythm and his bounce. We called it a bounce uh, instead of driving so hard. You know, think like you're bouncing down the track. Yeah, uh, yeah. I didn't get around to doing what I wanted to this year, which was trying to have them run with a metronome. Uh, I'll save that for next year, I guess, because I kind of ran out of time. Yeah, that's okay. I was actually messing with that stuff too a little bit, metronome running. And I, but my the the app I had only went up to like four point two or four point three strides a second, so I was kind of stuck. <laughs> I didn't get very far. <laughs> I mean, my stride is so slow. Yeah, we'll talk about it next time. Give me some prescriptions. I need some help. Um, <laughs> Okay, Chris, I, I got to, before, I, I know this is running late, so uh, I got to ask you too before we get out of here. Um, okay, stuff uh, upcoming for you this summer. You got TFC5, you got RPR stuff. Uh, tell me a little bit about those two, uh, just so people can find out more and, and if they're uh, interested. TFC5 is going to be uh, June 23rd at Benedictine. Uh, we had less speakers this time uh, because our summer ones are usually slower, uh, but we've still got really good people coming. Um, some different people. Uh, Jayla Holdsworth is going to be there, who's one of the greatest power lifters of all time, and he's going to be there too. And this is going to, I'm filming this one. He's going to talk about why a powerlifting squat is not good for athletics. So you're, you've Ooh. got a guy that's squatted a thousand pounds, one of the best power lifters of all time, coming out and saying, you know what, I drank the Kool Aid, and here's what I found. Um, so I think that'll be really good. Uh, Dan Fichter and Kerry Egan are going to be there, and they're going to do uh, more neuro stuff, which was last time. Remember last time how mind-blowing that was. Uh, Cal Dietz will be there. If you know Cal, he makes his presentations up 15 minutes before he does, so I really don't know what Cal's talking <laughs> on yet. But they're always really good because he just comes up with stuff, and he said, I had this idea that I want to talk on. Um, uh Cameron Joss is going to be there. Uh, he's going to do all, present all of his acceleration stuff uh, that he found with 1080, and he's going to show ways that he is doing, getting the same results without the 1080, uh, different things that you can do to improve your acceleration. Um, and the Movement Miyagi is going to be there to talk about agility. Uh, so that should be pretty good, too. I'm excited to hear him speak as well. Uh, so there's less speakers um, because, well, you were there last summer, and I think we only had about 80 people compared to the wintertime where we have 200 and some. Um, so we cut it back. And we're at uh, Benedictine University at a fancy place now, Ooh. which we're, we're trying out too. Yeah. And then uh, RPR, uh, we've, 
I'm doing a level two. We're starting level twos this summer in July. Um, we're branching out all over the country. I don't know if you saw Muscle Fitness Magazine had an article about it this month in June, uh, which was kind of exciting. Um, and it, it's starting to grow. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it's worth the money. I mean, to come out and just see it and experience it. And you may say, I don't want to do this, but there's there's something for everyone when you go to an RPR. Uh, sometimes I go off on tangents and start talking about running stuff and people say, well, do more on the running stuff. Now that's what I'm not here for. Uh, <laughs> but it, it's still, it, it's definitely worth going to see. I, I know we've got one coming up in Denver. <clears throat> um, we've got a bunch in Ohio coming up. Cal is doing them almost every weekend in Minnesota. Uh, and Cal's always a, a great teacher and he's fun to listen to. Um, so yeah, we've got a bunch of that going on and we have NFL teams using it, uh, NHL teams using it. So it's starting to spread. I think Clemson, they were down at Clemson, they were at Rutgers, they were at Ohio State's doing it. So it's, it's kind of wild. It's kind of wild to see your name in muscle fitness magazine. Muscle fitness. That's cool, man. Yeah, a a tall, awesome. skinny guy. I'd be the tallest guy in the history of the magazine there. <laughs> yeah, that is that is that is classic. Very cool. Well, it sounds like you have a really uh, some amazing events. I hope a lot of people sign up for those, uh, and, and especially me being at, at them in the past. They're really good. So I hope that yeah, your your busy summer uh, is, is excellent to you. And, uh, and uh, when I get done with Ken, I'll, I'll let you know what's going on, and maybe we share some of that. Fantastic. Well, sounds good, Chris. Well, thanks for taking the time today. Appreciate having you on. Uh, enjoy thanks, the rest of your first day off of the summer. <laughs> Sorry I took so much up of it. <laughs> thanks, Joel. Thanks for tuning in today. Really appreciate you all listening with us. And man, just such a great episode there with Chris. Uh, just a wealth of knowledge, and I'm sure we all came away from that knowing a little bit more about speed and how to make athletes faster, troubleshoot, and improve our uh, training over the seasons. If you love the show, uh, please leave us a review. We'd love to have your uh, comments, input, review, ratings on our platforms, iTunes or Stitcher, so we would appreciate that. Also, feel free or please, uh, if you're interested at all in training tools that will make you better. Some of the stuff that Chris mentioned on the show, the K-Box, the 1080, uh, some of these uh, really amazing tools at doing resisted training, overspeed, special strength, uh, head to simplyfaster.com. They have an amazing store online, probably the best collection of training tools that you are going to find. So check them out. We're happy to have them as our sponsors. And we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one.